Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. The home and away season is done. Can't believe it. We are now into finals footy, which is very, very exciting. We can't wait to have a little chat about the six teams that have qualified. Have a look at the teams whose seasons are unfortunately over. Just have a little bit of a chat about footy. So before we get into that chat, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's ep, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, and Marnie Vinyl ready and rearing to go to chat a whole bunch of footy. So let's have a squeeze at the round 10 results. We started the round with the Giants defeating Geelong by 18 points. Collingwood were big winners over the Tigers by 38. North, again, another big win over West Coast by 39. Melbourne and Carlton, only a point separated them and it was the Ds who came out on top. What a ridiculous game. We then had Brisbane beating the Doggies by 32. Adelaide beat St Kilda by 39 and Frio defeated the Suns by 37. We now know who is in finals, what the final series looks like. It's all very, very exciting, but let's start off first and foremost with the teams, the people, the plays that impressed us from this last round. So, Money, who impressed you? I can't believe the home and away season is done. I feel like this season's both gone on for so long and also just started. And I can't believe that we're not going to see some of these teams. I know I mentioned it last week with Carlton in particular about how the short seasons mean that we don't get to see, um, I, I guess, teams are getting into their groove late. But I'm really disappointed that this season's done and we're not going to see the Carlton side who over the weekend against Melbourne was so impressive and they played with so much grit and so much emotion. I really want to see more of them. Again, with the Giants as well, I would love to see more of them. It's really disappointing when you see teams really start to shine and then, oops, round 10 is done. We're into finals. But who impressed me this round? Alyssa Bannon, number one. I would not be surprised if she got rising star. I know there's a lot in that and that might be a controversial thing to be putting out there because a lot of people will have a lot of opinions but I do think she's in hot contention for that rising star against Carlton Taylor Harris was held relatively quiet and given this Bannon just came to the fore and I think that's going to be such a advantage for Melbourne going into the finals is they've got such a spread of talent with so much depth but even when there's um, more veteran stars get targeted by the opposition. They've got so many young ones who just really step up and cover that. And, you know, Bannon kicked three goals. So even though Harris was kept goalless and was kept quiet, Bannon just absolutely filled that hole seamlessly. You wouldn't have even noticed that um, that was an issue for that team. And, you know, going into finals, I think a lot of uh, clubs will be looking at how do you shut down Aaron Phillips? How do you shut down the likes of Chloe Malloy? But Melbourne just have such a spread of contributors in that goal scoring um, arc that it's going to be really hard for oppositions against them. I think Brisbane's the same. Brisbane has so many goal kickers, um, which segues brilliantly into who else impressed me, which I have written down, Sophie Conway and Greta Bodie. Sophie Conway is such a workhorse. She's kicking goals, but then also stopping them. She's just everywhere on that ground. And her improvement this season has been absolutely remarkable. I would say one of the best wingers, if not 
B with also uh, Ola O'Dwyer um, of the comp. It was just incredible. And at the start of the season, you know, Jesse Wardlaw and Dakota Davison were pegged as Brisbane's main goal kickers. But Conway and Bodie have both kicked 10, so they're leading that count for their clubs. Wardlaw has seven. Davison has four, but she's had a bit of injury. My other thing that has really impressed me this round, and I think it was really on show um, over the weekend, was that Brisbane are just such a fun team to watch because they seem to have so much fun when they play. Dakota Davison on the mark is one of my absolute favourite things to watch. The amount of fun that she has just being a bit of a goofball, it's, it's so fun. It's just you can see how much they enjoy being on the field and they enjoy playing with each other. They get around each other. They just want to be there. It's They've got such an energy about them and it really makes it fun as a fan to be watching it and to kind of absorb some of that energy. And lastly, I just don't want to miss it. It was Craig Sasevich, 50th game as coach. We absolutely love to see it. So I've talked a lot about Brisbane there, but who did who impressed you? To be fair, Brisbane have been very impressive. Also, yeah. if you like the Brisbane chat, may I recommend our chat with Lauren Arnell we released earlier this week. So, yeah, definitely go check that out if you're a big fan of Brisbane chat. Had to get the the cheeky plug in there. Yeah, Brisbane were impressive. I feel like I can't not mention a couple of the players who just went and smashed records this round because there were a couple. So Ash Riddell, 42 mm disposals what a ridiculous number just like take everything out of it just think about the fact that in a game of footy in a game of footy that is shorter than a men's Mm. game of footy she went and touched the ball 42 times bananas like it actually blows my mind and I feel like we've mentioned her a lot during this season and with good reason she's just constantly on the ball and it's a real key part of North's game and you know they're going to be in finals and if teams can somehow contain Ash Riddell they're going to go a long way to kind of stopping North but the way she's going it's just you know they talk about leather poisoning I feel like she probably or you know she's got some sort of immunity I don't know what it is but it is absolutely incredible I'm trying to find the stat here so she played 62 minutes of game time It in this record-breaking game. It equates to a disposal almost every two minutes. Oh, my goodness. And I'm just, that's, I, like, I'm not a math person, but I understand those numbers. <laughs> you know what I mean? So blows my mind, Ashradell, what a player. If she's not up there for best and fairest. I don't, I don't know what the umpires are seeing. I don't know how they can mm. miss her with that many touches in a game, to be honest. Another uh, record that we had was Erin McKinnon. We don't really talk about rucks an awful lot, but 47 hitouts broke her own record, which always makes me laugh. Riddell was the same. It was an equal yeah. record that she held, but she still technically broke her own record. And McKinnon has done the same here with 47 hitouts. Erin McKinnon making sure that we t- like sit up and take notice of her game. So absolutely phenomenal. Lots of very, very impressive players and teams this weekend. But as we said, it was the final round, which means we now know who will be playing finals, what's happening. So do you want to quickly kind of recap the finals format and what we can kind of expect from these next few weeks? Yeah, absolutely. So our top six teams, we've got... 
Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane, Fremantle, North and Collingwood. So those are our top six that we'll be battling it out for the flag. Adelaide are the minor premiers. They've gone back to back with that minor premiership. So they um, beat Melbourne on percentage. They're both on 36 points. Um, so yeah, Melbourne are therefore in second spot. So both of those teams will go straight to a preliminary final and they'll have home grand home ground advantage, which could prove to be the difference when these games are going to look so close. Then you've got Brisbane, North Fremantle and Collingwood all going to a qualifying final. So Brisbane are going to host Collingwood at the Gabba and then the winner of that game will face Adelaide and then North will host Fremantle at Arden Street and the winner of that game will face Melbourne. I really like that it cannot be a Brisbane-Adelaide grand final. So we can't have the same two teams in the grand final again, especially just because these two teams have been so they're the two most successful teams of the league's history so far. And they deserve that. They've been so impressive and so strong and they play so well as teams and they seem to have really good culture and they absolutely deserve that. But it is going to be good to, to see another team in the grand final. It has to be, that's going to be great. So I think we should do maybe a bit of a vibe check of like how these teams uh, looking. I think there's a big difference between the top three teams and the bottom three teams. So I think Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, uh, they're looking stronger and they've been more consistent, I would say, um, on top. But we love an underdog story. I think if Frio, North or Collingwood make it to the grand final, there's that's such a, such a good narrative um, and there's a lot to enjoy and celebrate for that, for me personally, I think that this final series is going to come down to pressure, depth, and kicking accuracy. Kicking accuracy is going to be the most frustrating of those three um, because all throughout this season, it has just been so many wayward kicks, so many close but not close enough kicks, so many gettable goals that have just gone into behinds. And some of these like really top teams, like Adelaide kicked, what was it, 7-11 on the weekend? Uh, you can't be doing that in, in finals, especially when pressure is going to force turnovers and it's going to first, especially on the run goals, it's going to be so much harder to get with the pressure that all of these top teams have. I know that you have an interesting query when it comes to qualifying in prelim finals. Well, I it's something that I think kind of rears its head also in the men's season, but just the mm. concept of the week off as the reward for the good season for placing highly on the ladder, is it actually a help or is it a hindrance? Do people look at it as a chance to kind of recharge and reset and rejuvenate or is it a kind of momentum killer? I don't know. And I think there's no there's no real conclusive evidence either way. I think it's just if a team loses off the back of a week off, it's like, nah, see, it ruined their momentum. That was it. If they don't, it was like, ah, oh, yes, they're just well-rested and stuff. So I don't know how to view the week off. I don't know if it is actually a reward for the top teams or if it's just a perceived reward. I, I don't know. I was just, I was sitting there in bed last night thinking like, but is it? Is it a help or is it a hindrance? I can't, I can't tell. I don't have the answers. Do you have any sort of theories or conclusions when it comes to this question? I think it's really dependent on team by team. Mm. Melbourne 
when they beat Carlton by one point, it looks like utter relief and like they were ready to go home and rest and recharge. And I think for Melbourne, that week's break is going to be a massive help just because it didn't look like they were ready to go again at the end of, of that game. They obviously were very happy to get the win, but it wasn't like they were cheering and jumping around. Like it was just like a big sigh of relief. Let's go back. Let's regroup. Let's get ready for finals. Whereas uh, an Adelaide, they looked more ready. Like they could go again next next round and like just keep building on that momentum, especially, you know, like Ash Woodland got the leading goal kicker um, of the season, huge props. And so there was a lot of that like celebration, um, even just in terms of like posting on social media and what have you, like players were very in that celebratory mode, in that like pushing mode. Um, so maybe a week off loses some of that. I don't really know. I think it, it's, it totally depends on the teams because I was also looking at um, Brisbane in comparison to these two other teams and will the fact that Brisbane have an extra game be a hindrance or a help to them as well? Because if they beat Collingwood by a lot or if they beat Collingwood by you know any margin, does that momentum push them further or does it give them more tired legs when they go up against Adelaide? They're good questions. I feel like we should know the answers as people doing a footy podcast, but I don't know the answers, but I cannot wait to find out just to kind of finish the vibe check of the finals teams. Cause I think it's an interesting question. It's one of those things like, yes, you've ticked the box of making finals, but how are you actually placed heading yeah. into the, the yeah. kind of back end of the season. I totally agree with you in the sense that I feel like it's a very kind of clear split between the top three and the bottom three and using vibes as the kind of official measure. I, I feel like I, I trust the Crows or I feel better mm. about the Crows propositions to continue to do things, to win a prelim, regardless of who they come up against. Melbourne, I feel similar for the most part, but I also feel like of the top three, they are the the potential shakes are there. And it's just something that mm. we've seen throughout the season. We've seen that, you know, their first quarters are a little bit slow. You can pressure them as you were discussing. And we literally saw it against Carlton, you know, it was only mm. a win by a point. So Rather than feeling like, ah, yes, we're in finals, we've made a statement, another good win, it was, oh, boy, that was um maybe a little bit closer than we had hoped it would be. Mm. So I think other teams will also be viewing that, like, what did Carlton do that we can replicate if we are to come up against the Ds? Because mm. it's absolutely, you know, a viable plan to kind of shut them down and keep them small. Brisbane, I, I really like what you were saying about how they just look like they're having fun. Fun footy is good footy. So I, I feel really confident about the way they're going about things. And, you know, they do have the, they finished third. They have the third best record in the league. I think that first up loss to Adelaide, you can almost kind of strike it from the record. What they've produced then in the rest of the season is very much what we expect from Brisbane and what we should absolutely be kind of um, judging them on. 
Then the other three teams, your, your Norths, your Frios, your Collingwoods, there's just been a little bit too much, I suppose, variation in their in their outputs. Maybe not their results because they've all won. Or North and Frio have won 7-3, Collingwood 6-4. There's just been that little bit too much variation. There's been some weird kind of dips. Obviously, they've all had kind of extenuating circumstances that have contributed to that. So, like, we can't talk about Collingwood without mentioning that they've lost two very, very key midfielders to knees throughout the season. Frio, we know that, you know, they copped that god-awful loss against the Ds, but lost literally both Antonios. Kiara Bowers has been out with a knee injury for a little while. So there has been reasons, but is it, you know, is the return of like the Antonios and Kiara Bowers enough to kind of bring Freo back up to where they were at the start of the season? I don't know. Will Collingwood find the right midfield mix considering they were still experimenting with it this past week because they've had to? I don't know. North, I don't actually have any. My vibe check on North, I don't know. Do you have a, a clearer read on the vibe check of North? Well, what I wrote for the finals preview for ESPN um, was that one reason that they can win the flag is that they have that prolific ball winner in Ash Fridell, and she does so much damage in the centre. If she can get those clearances and can just consistently win the ball, it'll it'll be hard it'll be hard for other teams, um, I guess, around the mid. One of my favourite things is that um, everyone seems to have a different opinion about where games are won. So games are won in the mid. No, games are won in the forward. Games are won in defence. I personally do agree that it's kind of like the third quarter of a premiership quarter. Like games are mostly won in the mid. And if, you know, if you do look at the difference between like the Roos and Collingwood, the Roos do have a more steady midfield, which could be the difference. And then they've got just a slew of goal, goal kickers in the Emma King and Dari Bannister and Jasmine Garner and um, Talia Randall. So there is those um, contributors up forward. One reason they can't is that they just haven't matched those top tier teams, this competition. And um, the last, the last game in that home and away, they secured a pretty big 36 point win, but it was over West coast. The game before that, they were beaten by Brisbane by 36 points. And the game before that, they were beaten by Melbourne by 10 points. So when it does come down to that crunch time, they do seem to just lose a bit of their feet and a bit of their gusto. So I, I don't know. They are going up against Fremantle, which they did beat earlier in the um, season. So we'll just have to see how that goes. But I completely agree with you when it comes to inconsistency. When it um, With Freer, I think we really saw that over the weekend. Their third quarter... They were kept goalless. And then the fourth quarter, they were just absolutely firing. It was goal after goal. And they were just constantly in the in that inside forward. It's like, why couldn't you do that all game? If you did, you would have got your percentage up and you would have had a home game um, as a qualifier. So completely agree. It's I think the the main takeaway is that these finals games are going to be fun. That's the one thing that we can kind of count on with any sort of certainty. It's big footy is the winner energy, but it's true. <laughs> yes. It's true. But obviously, we've got our top six, but there's still a fair few other teams whose seasons have just ended. So let's have a little chat about those sides, how we kind of assess their seasons and kind of what happens next for them. So I know we've, we've spoken a lot about Carlton. So let's start with Carlton. 
they they really were the kind of prime example of a short season does not really give you the best indication of maybe a team's full trajectory. That's a, a fair mm-hmm. statement to say. Absolutely. And yeah, I think um Carlton is in that um in that bucket. I don't really know in that group. Um same with GWS. I it's really interesting looking at these teams that are bearing out the Western Bulldogs, Carlton, GWS, Gold Coast, Richmond, Geelong, St Kilda, West Coast. It's really interesting looking at these teams because I feel like some of them had a big surge and then dropped off. Like um, Geelong had so many close wins at the start of the season and then it feels like they just dropped off a little bit towards the end. Gold Coast as well, they were in finals contention. I know that we've spoken a bit about this and how close they were to staying in with the Sarah Perkins goal, not that it is Sarah Perkins fault. <laughs> um, uh, and then I guess it just came down to Western Bulldogs. I think Western Bulldogs is such an interesting one because had they not had all of that, those the COVID and well, health and safety protocols, had they not dealt with all of that, do you think they would be in finals? It's, a really interesting question and I literally wrote it down in my notes I wrote what if season yeah. for the dogs and it's you know it's un it's not helpful or useful to kind of be like mm, but what about if the thing that's yeah. already happened didn't happen but you'd have to say when they were fit and firing they did they played good footy. Like they were they fun. They were fun to watch. They were able to match it with some of those top teams. They they showed plenty. So you do wonder if if they don't cop kind of everything in that first sort of section of the season, and everyone else's trajectories kind of stayed the same. If you you Collingwood's kind of taper off and all of those kinds of things. I don't know, but I feel like maybe I will say though, it makes me feel very excited about next season that mm. if this is what they were able to produce under, you know, some of the toughest kind of circumstances seen league wide, I would say, you know, only your your Perth clubs have kind of copped it harder because they literally had to relocate. <laughs> but yeah. in terms of like, you know, adversity, tough circumstances, if that's what they were producing in those conditions, hopefully Mm -hmm. the the footy stays the same. It's just the conditions become a little bit easier for them. So I'm hopeful, excited Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. the potential of this dogs team for next season. But, yeah, it it will always kind of, it'll be one of those things where you're like, oh, but imagine what could have happened. That's, That's my kind of reading with the dogs for this season. I did see one tweet and I can't remember who it was by, so sorry, I can't credit, but it said that um, with the potential next season being in August, these this last weekend was really the pre, pre-season. So all of all of your teams that did well, you can get very excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, just so a, that, it's just the pre-season. <laughs> that's your, your dogs, your, your Carltons. I couldn't agree with you more in terms of like Geelong, Gold Coast, and I would say to a lesser extent the Giants where they looked like they were on the cusp of something at points throughout Mm. the season and then they just looked nowhere throughout points of the season. And I think 
honestly, Geelong disappointed me the most. I don't know if it's because we just kind of, we by like force of will wanted them to do well and our our good vibes and thoughts and prayers were simply not enough (laughs) to propel them into that kind of winning footy like sphere. But I just, I really, from the, the first half of the season, like you said, I really thought there was maybe something more than there was. I don't know if this was, you know, come next season, they'll grow from all of these. We'll find out. I wanted to talk a little bit though, or I wanted to get your thoughts rather on, I would say, I don't know if it's unfair to say this, the three most disappointing teams of this season. So for me, that's Richmond, that's St Kilda and West Coast. West Coast, I think we can blame a lot of it on COVID and everything that surrounds that, a wooden spoon for them. Unfortunately, someone has to get it. And this time around, it was West Coast. Richmond and St Kilda, I feel... You know, like we started the season really keen on Richmond after their opening round win and then they kind of didn't show much else. And then St Kilda, obviously, like they broke through for those wins. It was really exciting. It was really important. But what else do they kind of have to to show for the seat? I'm not sure. I feel like for some reason Richmond has disappointed me more than St Kilda. I don't know why, but... Do you have any kind of thoughts and takes on those those three sides? Yeah, I do agree with you. I think that Richmond, that start, that season opener was such an exciting game and it was such an impressive display of football and they seemed like they were really controlling the ball. They had a style of game that they put on show that was really impressive. They had Moncon, who was the talk of the town, but then that never really happened Again, you know, after round one, it was like, oh, she could be in for Bess and Ferris, but then Richmond never stepped up to the plate to kind of give that opportunity. Again, Katie Brennan has been excellent this season. Goals on goals on goals. We love, she's at 15 consecutive matches scoring a goal. She didn't play against Collingwood with an injury, um, but she's been great. But yeah, I'm just shrugging because that's that's kind of, kind of my feelings. Um, towards Richmond and then Geelong I also agree with you in that I think we built them up and they had all these really close wins that it was kind of like the fan storyline at the first half of the season was when is Geelong going to get the win they're so impressive Nina Morrison George Prasparkas they're really getting into they're clicking this is such a going to be a dangerous looking side and then they got the win that was over West Coast I believe and then everyone kind of just stopped talking about them. <laughs> like, it, like it was kind of like we've reached the, the, the narrative arc for us as fans or as the community was kind of like, okay, we've, we've got the win. Um, what's the next big storyline that we're chasing or following? And I, I guess Geelong's performance kind of um, tapered off with that, I would say, to an extent. And then, yeah, West Coast have had a hard season. I really hope that... They are celebrating for all these teams, but I really hope that they're celebrating the small wins because they are so important in AFL footy and and also worth celebrating. I mean, you're playing at the top level, you're going out, you're having a crack, you're having, you're you're sacrificing so much to be there and to play and there's so much disruptions going on. I really hope that despite not having very many wins against their name, that they are absolutely celebrating what needs to be celebrating 
celebrated and that is each other. Um, definitely feel that, but yeah, big difference, I think, between these sides. Um, and there's a lot of talk about how the same six teams are heading into finals and there is a big difference between the top teams and the bottom teams of this competition. Given the competitions in its infancy, given it's going through expansion periods, another one is, you know, on the horizon. I mean, yeah, obviously there's going to be difference in how they play and the the quality of play and the, the skills there and also the team cohesion because some teams have been together for longer than others. You've got new teams coming in and they're, they're building. Of, of course, there's going to be a difference. That is just how this league is going to be while it's getting into... It's, it's grooving, it's finding its feet and it's developing and it's growing. We can't expect it to go from zero to a hundred. That's silly. And so, yeah, same teams are in the finals. Okay. That doesn't mean that the season's been boring or uninteresting or unfun. I would definitely argue that some of the biggest and most exciting moments of this competition have come from those teams that aren't in the final so the sun's rise from wooden spoons and not winning a game to being in finals contention you've got uh the Prosparcus cup that was one of the biggest and most i think most like fun as a community everyone just got around it was so so exciting to watch and there was so much you know, to talk about in that game the Prosparcus cup so that was against carlton and geelong geelong's first win against west coast twitter was going off just like it did when St Kilda got their first win against the Suns. I think some of the most joyous moments from this comp and the most exciting as a fan and as a community have been from the teams that haven't made finals. That That's great. Like, they don't – I'm just so annoyed at this, this commentary that, like, it's boring because it's, like, top teams, bottom teams. There's so much going on. There's so much to celebrate. This Like, it's so exciting. It's still really good footy. And that's just how – it is at the moment and how it's going to be for a while. Um, yeah. Especially with like the new four teams coming in. I, I'm a big Essendon fan. I don't expect to see Essendon in finals next season. I, I mean, granted, I will be saying that Essendon will be in finals all over my Twitter, but in like realistically, I don't expect to see Essendon, Swans, Port or Hawthorne in the finals. That doesn't mean I'm not going to be excited to watch them play. Do you have thoughts on this? I think I just the thing I suppose I wanted to emphasize was your point about the competition being in the infancy as if, you know, we have such a small sample size of seasons and we know all we have to do is look at the men's comp not to compare it but I think in this case it is a useful comparison. Mm-hmm. Teams go through periods of, you know, they're constantly in finals. You know, we talk about the premiership window and things like that. It's the same deal in the women's comp. These teams, the teams that are at the top of their game, are at the top of their game. They're in their respective premiership windows. They're in their moments of success and of, like, good footy and of, you know, strong results. This is something that happens. They're not going to stay there forever. If they do, that'll be impressive. That'll be really impressive. But, you know, in five years' time, I you know, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the expansion sites have suddenly, you know, been able to kind of 
pull it together, get that cohesion and have risen up the ranks. Similarly, these teams can't maintain this level of success and like consistent finals forever. Some of them will drop down. It's the kind of natural ebbs and flows of a league. So I think, you know, I can see why people have pointed it out, but it's not like it's all of a sudden an issue. You know what I mean? It's... It's the way footy leagues work and we will see this constant chopping and changing. Maybe the moves will be slightly slower or, you know, over more seasons than perhaps we would like or would be expected. But there's going to be changes. Teams are going to rise and fall. And right now these six teams are in their moment of rise. Like it is, sometimes it really do be like that. But I'm glad you mentioned Jesse Wardlaw's tattoo says it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. And Jesse's tat should say it. I will. I, I wanted to just mention something else about Brisbane and Adelaide. I also think that with what you're saying there about teams in their premiership window, I think that a lot of people are kind of, I don't want to say bored with how good Adelaide are, but there is kind of that sentiment and there's kind of a sentiment that, they maybe don't deserve to be as good as they are because they haven't had um, state competition, which they will with Port coming in. But for at the moment, they've had the pick of all of talent of South Australia. And that is accurate and a very worthy thing to say. But I also think you've got to give credit to Adelaide. They've got an amazing culture at their club that's becoming renowned. And it's, it, it's, a, like it's well known that... Adelaide players usually don't want to leave Adelaide because it's such a good place to be. They've built that culture and that culture has translated to good footy, good team efforts that they are putting scores on the board with the problems with kicking accuracy, but they are putting the scores on the board to get them to be back-to-back minor premiers and credit where credit is due. And the absolute same with Brisbane. Brisbane are the other successful team that's been there in, I would say, in their premiership window. And they've been depleted by expansion clubs and it's been an issue for that club you know their coach Craig Sasevich and also Brianna Brock have mentioned previously they thought something might have been wrong with Brisbane because of the amount of players that left in the expansion periods and it was really worrying for them but they've managed to consistently be a strong side and there's, there must have been so much work going on internally to make sure that the players wanted to be there and to build that team effort that is just so on display for those teams. So both these teams, um, yeah, they're foundation clubs, but they've also worked really, really hard and they deserve to be properly credited with the success that they've had. Anyway, just some thoughts I have there. But I'm glad you also mentioned the four teams that are coming in because we spoke about it a lot last week. We need to provide an update on the new season start and when these four teams are coming in. Apparently they have said, yes, we would love to come in earlier or as early as possible. And it's a bit like, duh, the the teams that have yet to taste AFLW, some of whom have been applying for years to get into AFLW, want to start playing in AFLW as soon as humanly possible. Like not really a surprising thing, but It seems that also in light of this potential earlier start date, we have some signings, which is very exciting. So I'm giving you the opportunity to be big bombers, Nuffy. Talk to us about (laughs) Essendon's first ever AFLW signing. 
I'm a little bit worried about how much of a nasty I'm going to turn into with um, Essendon's AFLW team coming in. I'm really going to have to just be constantly pulling myself up on it. I think behind the scenes of like my writing and being on this pod um, and my Twitter, it's just going to be probably very annoying for my close friends and family. Just how I already talk about Essendon probably every day. It's, it's just going to skyrocket from there. I was so excited when we announced our first signing. So it is Georgia Nansgorn. Um, so she is a former hockey roo. She's played with North. She was delisted, went to Essendon where she stayed. She has shunned the last two drafts to make sure that, you know, she stays in the red and the black. And now she's the first AFLW signing. This is so exciting and so well-deserved. I don't think it could have been anyone but her. And I, I think that she's such a strong player to build a team around. Uh, in over at Sydney Swans, they also announced their first um, AFLW signing. So it is Ruby Sergeant Wilson. She's a product, and although I don't really like that word to describe people, but it is what's used in this context. She's a product of the Swans Academy. So that's a really good story for Swans. And I think that there is a lot of good things happening over in New South Wales when it comes to Sydney. I, I'm really excited to see, you know, the Swans Academy also produced, another word I don't like using when we talk about people, but they produced uh, Jess Doyle, who plays for Giants, and she's had a ripper of a season and contributed a lot to that side. So I'm quite excited to see what comes out of Sydney Swans. Hawthorne had their first signing a few weeks back in Bridget Deed. Port, we haven't heard much. It's a, it's a bit quiet over there. I think um, if you didn't, know that they were getting a team you still might not because it's been very quiet from their camp uh when it comes to coaches as well Hawthorne have Beck Goddard and Sydney have Scott McGowan we love that Essendon are still waiting to announce or to sign their coach and again we haven't heard anything coming out of port so there's there's a lot to happen in such a short time frame I don't um, envy having to put these teams together in five months at all. Absolutely not. But I will say just kind of on your point about the Swans Academy and also about your point regarding Port, maybe <laughs> hope, I'm really hoping making moves in silence, but like yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit worried. But just I have a very distinct memory, but please correct me if I am wrong, a very distinct memory of... A few years ago, when it might have been the latest round of expansion, the teams that either didn't get in or didn't apply, they were like, you know, people were asking, obviously, like, how were you feeling or why didn't you apply? The Swans were like, we're going to set up our academy. We're mm. going to get things in order, blah, 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 blah. And now we are seeing the fruits of those past mm. decisions because obviously it's not just Sergeant Wilson and Doyle that they've got. They've got a whole academy's worth of talent that mm. they can call upon to help build this team and it's not just for this first season that's a long-term thing that will be a constant source of potential players so you look at that and then I have a very like I said I hope I'm not misremembering this but I swear to god at the same time the swans were like we're not coming in right now but we're gonna set up the girls academy we're gonna kind of you know do this right get this ready Port at the same time, I believe Koshi was there talking about we're focusing on China. 
we're oh, gonna focus don't on get getting me started <laughs> we're gonna focus our focus at the moment is getting the game in China up and running and making that a real thing and I just remember thinking at the time okay that's where your priorities are I don't agree but good to know that those are where your priorities are so just in the way that the kind of news is filtering out of these expansion clubs that kind of moment in time those stories just kind of live in my head rent free and I just and then you've got um Essendon whose story at the time was we really want a club and AFL like we're kind of mad at you I mean I mean (laughs) like, like I just it made me laugh but yeah, it's so good to see. And it's always exciting. We do love that there's just a whole new crop of players who will get to, you know, experience their AFL kind of dreams. And same for the fans, for people like you. There's so many people who have, you know, adopted teams and, you know, they now get to wear their true colours. So it's all very, very exciting. We cannot wait for it. Let's change tack a little bit. Let's move to this week's Handy Point we I can't remember if we missed it or if it was smack bang in the middle of kind of our two episode recordings but Brisbane Lion Jess Wuchner has taken some time away from footy to focus on her mental health she hasn't played for a while now but has still been in and around the club in and around kind of training still very much part of the Brisbane Lions but has decided to kind of focus and prioritise her mental health. And I think obviously without going into specifics because we don't know them and also just with the utmost respect for for Jess's privacy, I think the, the one thing that I would argue both of us would take out of this is just how important it is that she mm. has said, I need to do this for me. And I can only imagine there's a lot of pressure when you're you're a woman who plays footy, your your window is already very small in terms of, you know, the infancy of the competition. The season is very small. You do not get a lot of opportunities to play AFLW footy. So to look at that and absorb that pressure and still decide to prioritise your own mental health, I just think is so important and so commendable. And I just think it's a, a really great message she's sending and I really hope that she's doing well and looking after herself and you know getting whatever she needs to out of this breakaway from footy I 100% agree and especially what you were saying there about I guess some of the stigma that still is around mental health um and being a footy player where there is a notion that you have to be just like almost bulletproof I remember being um, at a game at community level and I was on the field and as long as my heart rate just started going as I like, I'm trying to remember that feeling. I did start having like a, uh, a panic attack. And I remember being like, I can't come off. Like if I come off, I won't see another game. Like they won't respect that I am a good player and that I can be out there and that I can weather um, Aussie rules footy, which is tough. And so I remember just like, I, I couldn't even breathe. It was so horrible. And cause like I was next to this, you know, this person that was on me just being like, sorry, I'm just, I just sweat and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't speak. And it was really horrible. 
And so that, that actually, there really was, and my coach, I, I later talked to her and she was amazing and it was very much, um, she put support in place for me and there was lots of touch points so I could do it even like I could just text saying I'm not coming to training tonight don't ask me about it because I can't talk about it um she was great um but I do remember just being like yeah as like I've got to prove myself as a footy player but also as like a woman footy player and this was a community level and I was like I, I just I absolutely cannot let anyone else know around me what's going on that like I just cannot do that and I didn't um and I think in hindsight that probably wasn't the right call to make at that time and so having players who are at the top level and who are incredible players to be so open and honest with their own mental health does normalize the fact that mental health battles go on every single day for so many of us and also normalizes just talking about it and being open about it one of my favorite things about this story if favorite is a right word to use um is that she said on her instagram that she's not sad she's scared and it's her fight or flight that has been heightened and overactive for quite some time making it difficult to participate in leaving the house or just participating in in her life and that anxiety is causing the quality of her life to be pretty um i don't think i can say the word she used (laughs) um uh and I really enjoy not enjoy I just think it's so important that she said that it's that it's scared and it's the fight or flight and actually talking about like the physiological aspects that um mental health have on the body and the brain and how it contributes to functioning and participating in in life and that it's not just being sad which I think a lot of people there's a lot of I guess still stigma around someone's going through um a mental health battle that equates to them being sad where that's it's way more complicated than that and every single person's journey is completely different every single person's experience is completely different and so not just saying I'm not going to play for a bit so she hasn't yeah she hasn't done match day duty since round four although she has been training with the club throughout the season which is also shows how supportive Brisbane are which is massive props um but, but just being like, it, it, it's not me being sad. It's me being scared. They are different. Let's be open and honest about that so that people like you and I or Joe Blow on the street can also have those conversations with their friends and their family and their workplaces. And having those conversations with your workplaces is so, it, 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 it's hard. I've done it so many times. Um, the amount of mental health leave that I've taken in my life is a lot. Um, I think in comparison to like the, um, the average, but I was only able to do that because I had support systems around me. Uh, and because of people like Jess who are open and honest and talk about it and normalizes it so that we can all learn. Um, yeah, super important. I think we also are entering a phase of, I don't know, just sports more generally where athletes really are obviously feeling more empowered or safer or whatever it is where they feel like not only can they take this time away, but they can kind of speak openly about it as well. I think that's a really important thing. We know that unfortunately there is still a lot of flack that they cop. I'm thinking of, you know, like Naomi Osaka and her decision to kind of step away from doing presses and stuff. Bailey Smith in the men's comp has copped some flack as well. Um, 
we had in the A-League Women's, one of the Kiwi girls say I had to pull myself out of game days because Mm. I wasn't coping with the kind of fast and furious nature of the league. It was just too much. So I think all of these players, all of these athletes are really, I don't know if they're inspiring each other or what it is that this particular moment it feels like it's not just people saying it's okay not to be okay. It's people actually actively Mm. um, doing that and saying, Mm. yes, I don't feel okay and I'm going to remove myself from these situations. So I think it's, it's only a positive thing in the sense that she just by, by doing this has only I'm hoping inspired or, um, comforted someone else to know that it's okay to do this and there are a lot of places that will be supportive and a lot of people that will be supportive as well so I think yeah, I feel the same as you I'm like I'm trying not to say that it's a good thing that she is experiencing you know a mental health issue but it's the way that it's kind of been handled and discussed I think is a really positive thing so uh, and I think it's getting better in the men's comp, but there's still somewhat of a, a player is taken a leave of absence and it's kind of just like pushed under the rug. We're in the women's comp and not just AFLW, but in women's sport, I would say it's, it, it's a lot better in terms of, oh, okay, well, let's actually look at this as like wholeheartedly and, and, and treat it as um, it should be taught, like talk of we should be able to talk about it and we should be able to discuss it and also commend these players instead of just being like this player taking a leave of absence end of story actually being like yeah this is happening and we can talk about it and mental health like every single person I think I know has some mental health battle if it's small if it's big so why shouldn't like of course players do and when they talk about it we can talk about it in relation to ourselves um yeah just to add on to what you were saying no it's it's a very good point so let's wrap this thing up we've only got two games this weekend but let's talk about these finals games we've got north and Freo on saturday arvo and then brisbane collingwood also on saturday arvo whom's to your tips who who is meeting Melbourne and Adelaide in these prelims? In these curtain raises for the next <laughs> um, Definitely Brisbane mm-hmm. and definitely Rio. What about you? I think I've agreed with you, but I need to double check my tips because as I've mentioned, I think more than once, sometimes I will tip and then completely forget who I've tipped. Um, oh. Yeah. I went Frio and Brisbane as well. Also, just a little braggy moment for me. I came second, or I'm currently second in the ESPN footy pod. I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't know what advantage I have over you, but the advantage I have over Anna is the fact that she's literally been in China and unable to tip of late, which has been... I've been forgetting to do it. (laughs) So, So by virtue of remembering... I am I am sitting second on, on the ESPN 40 podcast tipping competition. So feeling really good about myself yeah. in terms of that. But yeah, I agree with you. Freo and Brisbane. Brisbane, I think we've already kind of established why we've both 
tipped them. And for me, Freo, the the inclusions, once again, of the Antonios, of Chiara Bowers, it just, it lifts them up to another level. And I I feel pretty confident, I think, about that. Mm. So North are going to make me look silly now is (laughs) the vibe that I'm getting. But I think that's us done. Thanks for tuning in. We'll chat to you all next week. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.